0: Hello again, everyone, this is Doug Thorpe, and you're listening to another episode of Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm excited today, and as I, you know, I realize I say that all the time, I I do. I'm I'm really proud of the guests I've been able to find, and today is no exception to that. I've got a lady visiting with me, her name is Erin LeBax, and uh, she is going to be sharing with us the idea of the importance of the words you use in your messaging. And we'll talk a lot more about that. But uh, let me say, welcome to the show, Aaron.
1: Thanks, Doug. I'm happy to be here. Hi, everybody.
0: And uh, talk to us about this idea. Just can, can you give us a, a kind of top of the mountain summary of what it is that you specialize in helping leaders understand?
1: Sure, Doug. Yeah. Well, I think many of us maybe noticed a shift in how we think about our communication during and after the pandemic. And some of this was, you know, back in the old days, as we might say, I'm able to show up at a meeting, make a presentation, chat with someone in the hallway, make a phone call because we're all on the same schedule, et cetera. And as the pandemic started to kick in and people got farther and farther apart, they noticed, well, what's tying us together now is our writing. And if I am not going to even call you because we don't have core hours or something, My writing is going to be the only thing representing me in your mind. Not only will it be what tells you potentially what we're working on this month, directs you, redirects you, but it'll also represent who I am as a leader. And so people really started noticing, oh, yeah, writing is interactive. If I'm not there, my writing is interacting with someone for me. And this has really created a change in the minds of leaders because we're now all realizing, hey, that means I can can impact perception and behavior with writing. Just like we used to, of course, do and still do with our behavior, with our modeling and with our speaking, we can actually impact behavior with writing. And now people are realizing, yeah, I wanna sound confident and represent myself well, but I also wanna make sure that not only do I inform people, but I connect with them because now our entire relationship in some cases takes place in writing. And so we've all really had a shift of, oh, right. This is something I need to sort of open up to the interactive nature of writing and realize that's how I'm building a relationship now. Um, And you know, even we could take Doug and I as an example. We met only once before this, but our writing has established trust between us already. And it saves time because we hop on the call for the podcast. We have no problems. We're already ready because our writing did that for each other. And that's one of the many wins that leaders can get by writing with intention.
0: The immediate thing that comes to mind is the, I'll call it evolution of society, you know, with social media and everything. We're into texting and emojis and all these sorts of things that are going on and, I was actually attending a board meeting last night for a nonprofit I'm part of, and we got into a discussion that our target audience is a younger population. It's it's supporting a group of college students is what it is. And we were lamenting the difficulty in connecting with a lot of them. And one lady on the board said, oh, in another related organization, I've found that all we ever have success is with texting they don't even open emails anymore. So I'm like, ooh, uh, you know, showing my age, it's like, really, emails aren't even working anymore? So uh, let me just, there is a question in there somewhere. Have you seen a shift in the social acceptance of messaging and which way it's going and how it's emerging?
1: You know, that's a great question because yes, I often even just when I'm with a client, maybe I show up to teach a class in person, I observe all the leaders I'm around, they're texting one another typically. Sometimes, you know, even after hours and we can talk for one thing, I think the culture of different generations is really important. Um and but secondly, yes, I think text is becoming more acceptable in the business world, but Some people are maybe still treating it like they would a text with friends, whereas a business text requires you to really make sure, ooh, did I answer the the needs of my reader? If they asked me something and I go along talking about myself on my text, that's not effective interactive communication, right? So we do need to consider, yes, in some cases, based on the reader, maybe a text is more effective for them than an email, but if so, we still need to sort of bring our business mind to that text, potentially. Um, And we are seeing quite a difference with generations because some of the forms of communication that have felt traditional and standard and seem totally logical for many of us to continue using just haven't had that that feel in that culture of the younger group where it's kind of like, oh, my parents maybe email one another, but I haven't typically done that. And we're now hearing even texts, the way we capitalize, the way we use punctuation, the level of correctness can even vary among generations, including the level of correctness expected. And that's another part of communication we're always thinking of. Well, what are the norms and expectations of the group I'm writing to, including their generational culture?
0: Yeah. I've got so many thoughts that went through my mind as, as you were describing that. A number of years ago, I took an invitation to be an adjunct instructor at a local college, and uh, they were looking for some additional staff in their business program, and I agreed to participate. And for me, that was, I won't say how many years since I'd really set foot in a college classroom. <laughs> uh, But it had been a while. So I kind of conjured up my own sort of expectation of how we're going to do this thing. And I had in the back of my mind, uh, the idea of stating to the class, I didn't want to have any devices in the room, you know, just other than maybe your laptop, if you want to take notes. But when I got to the (laughs) the class the first night, there were phones and iPads and laptops, and I I mean, all manner of inventory from all popular brands all over the room. And I thought, yeah, that's not going to work. So,
1: not a battle you want to take on, right? It doesn't always (laughs) succeed.
0: And the funny thing was, I did the very old school classic, you know, wrote my name on the board and turned around to sort of introduce myself. And Guy raised his hand and he said, I found you, you're on LinkedIn. I, I'm, I'm reading everything. And I'm like, yeah, okay.
1: Right. <laughs> they can research everyone now or check rate dot or, you know, there's always something online where people can now look into something before it even begins.
0: Right. Right. Well, let's, um, so as you, kind of lean into this idea of the content and the messaging. What are some of the key checkpoints that you encourage leaders to think about just when they're sitting down with a proverbial white screen, white paper, or what, what should they be thinking about and how they should be structuring a message?
1: Yeah, well, I'll mention two things. Um, one being, we actually have to stop and think, what are the needs of today's writers, today's readers rather? Because they might not be the same as I was thinking when I learned to write. So many of us, we learned to write all different amount of years ago, right? Doesn't matter how long ago it was, we typically were taught to write for one purpose, which was to show what we know and get judged for it, right? So that's just, we've all had that in our culture growing up. Well, now we're at work. And if we're a leader, I'm not so sure our team wants to hear everything we know right? That would be the wrong instinct in an email to all hands where we're trying to motivate people for a new project, right? It would be the wrong instinct suddenly to show everything we know. So we have to think, well, what do today's readers need? They're all dealing with content overload, right? So how can we make our message really targeted, concise, and just kind of oriented to their needs? And with that, my second tip will be, and we can unpack this more in terms of some practicalities, But especially for leaders, that anytime you write, you have two goals at once. And often, we've been only brought up to think about goal number one, which is informational. What am I trying to say to you? What is important for me to get sent out there? Okay, but that's still kind of in our old mindset of when I write, I think about me. I'm going to get judged for this. It better be correct. I'm going to think about all my thoughts. Well, it's a different outlook now. We have to think about what they need. So we don't only have the informational goal, we also have a relational goal when we write. And many of us have experienced this, right? When we do an email or a text where we disagree with someone, but we work hard to preserve the relationship. Or we criticize someone, but we work hard to keep trust, even if we don't like their idea or want to redirect their behavior. And so keeping that relational goal in mind, because it's always there, especially as a leader, right, a team member, will read into emails, right? That's what we do when we look at our boss's emails. So we always want to write through the lens of those two goals, or we might forget that it doesn't really matter how glorious our information is if it hasn't connected with the receiver and they're therefore not ready to receive it.
0: You know, related to that is something we were talking about before we got on air here, and it's it's a common practice that i see in leaders they feel the need to present to their team a a new directive a new goal a new objective a new plan whatever and they they work long and hard maybe putting the slide deck together or the presentation together or the memo you know to to get it out there and then they have the big day, the big reveal of this thing, and then they walk away, kind of with a "Who, I'm, I'm done." Uh, you know, that's good. And my advice to leaders that think that is, no, you're not. You've only just begun. You've you've really got to think through the process of reinforcing your message over time. Right. And to your point about remote working, it's even more important now that many of us still are operating remotely because you put that message out one time you might have a reasonably robust discussion about it but that doesn't mean everybody gets it and everybody's 100 percent locked in on the same path that you see in your mind
1: Yeah, it doesn't necessarily, I guess we often call it in class, ensure mutual understanding, right? When we say something, we're not sure that we've done the work to ensure that. We might have been really working hard to make the presentation interesting and motivating because we're excited about the idea, but we might be forgetting, well, did I make it actionable? Do the different people in the room know if they have an actionable part or if they were just supposed to know about it? And so we're gonna need, that's, I think you're right also, um, just a sort of accidental trend among leaders communication. We're all real good at explaining, but that's not what everybody always wants. And so thinking about if I'm gonna reiterate my message, it needs to be oriented to what that reader needs to know or do. And that's just a, a difficult instinct to adjust to because we're all so used to just coming forth with our thing that we need to get across. But now we're learning more and more through research on cognition, interpretation, content overload. People often simply don't get the message we think they've gotten because their minds are cluttered with a million other things and they looked at social media right before they read your email or went to your talk, right? So we have to kind of craft information in a different way now, make it scannable, make it actionable, make it visual, make it concise, just trying to get to, hey, behavioral economics, how can I make sure this reader actually goes through reading this document?
0: You know, that reminds me of another episode we did last year on this show. My guest was sharing with us the idea that employers and employees don't do enough of having the give and take exchange just talking about basic expectations and obligations it it it's not uncommon that there's a lot of focus on expectation you know the employee shows up you know when am i going to get promoted when am i going to get my next raise when am i going to have this that and the other thing happen those are all expectations and likewise the employer has expectations you know i need a certain level of productivity i need a certain throughput i need certain policies and practices to be followed. And, and those are all valid and real expectations. But as, as was revealed in the show, we did the, the big thing, I think, that gets skipped or ignored is a commitment to obligation. Hmm. And, you know, you, you talk about breaking down the vision or the story you're telling as a leader into actionable parts and relatable parts for the people. But I think somewhere in the mix of that is the leader's sense of being able to say, all right, here's my obligation to help you be successful. You know, here's what I think this new thing means for me as your leader to get you in the best possible position for success. And that's an element I don't see in a lot of communication.
1: Right, right. Sometimes I think in a lot of communication, the expectation is implied and the actual requirements are hidden. Sometimes they may not seem hidden to us, the writers, but if they're within the middle of a paragraph, that may feel hidden to the reader. Um, People are having success with even just pulling things out with a bulleted list in the middle of an email. Or if I were to say, hey, here's the action item I have for you, I would surround it with white space and make sure it stands out and make sure it's towards the beginning. And we can kind of assume today that anything buried in a paragraph is a hit or miss of whether it's going to get acted on. People will not see, oh, that's for me. And it's we're, we're having to be a little more explicit in these ways. And I, I also want to note, I liked your point about the need for conversations, right? Here's my expectation and my hope for you. What are your expectations? How can we make sure we actually do it? That's also what I encourage teams uh, to do about writing because most people are scared about writing because we grew up getting judged for it. So of course we feel kind of nervous or maybe even embarrassed. Um, But when we have transparent conversations like that, leaders can say, you know, oh my gosh, I used to write these long-winded emails until I realized in business writing, we really have to put our main point at the top. What do you guys think? And now we're talking about it and we're getting rid of this sort of fear and embarrassment about our writing fails, which can actually be quite informative. So I think your example, and I would just bring that in. I often encourage leaders to just get together with their teams and watch one of my YouTube videos or something and be like, this is our discussion for the half hour. How can how can we do more of this? What are we nervous about? What do we need to do better in our writing with each other?
0: Two things that come from that. Number one, I really like your suggestion on put the key thing at the top. I, I, I call that put the bottom line up at the top. Yeah. And too often, and this is probably a function of the way we were taught writing, you, you, you go through this journey to build a story in a case. And now here's the big reveal. Here's the thing we're asking for or the goal we're trying to achieve. And I, I had a... Mentor, boss, in in my young army days, we we did a lot of work in in paper form, writing position papers and requests and things for action. And he he was the first guy I ever had that said, "Put the put the ask at the top. Tell me what your you know what this memo is going to be about. Give me the bottom line right away. Then do all the other supporting stuff below." And he told me he he was very good this way. He said, let me explain why that's important. He said, a lot of times these matters go through a lot of preparatory discussion and exploration and analysis before we get to the summary document that says, here's the official position paper. And if you put the bottom line at the top, if I've been involved all along with the discussion, I know where we're going. And now this is the time for the final formal paper. If I see that bottom line i don't necessarily have to read all the rest of the stuff i 'm going to trust that you're going to not fabricate anything you 're going to oh, yeah. r- you know repeat the details. But if I see it's the bottom line up at the top, then I can go ahead and sign my approval and pass it on and i'm a busy guy i don't have time to read the whole memo and see what we 're talking about on the other hand if it's a matter that's relatively new to me, I still, I get to see the bottom line, but then I can read the supporting docs. And if it's a lesser matter, either I delegate it or I go ahead and approve it. And we're, or I'll call you if I've got a question, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really brilliant. And I really respected his opinion and he was a well-respected leader. And I thought, okay, note to self, this is a, this is a page I need to take from his book and carry right. with me. And I've, I've done that most of the rest of my career. But the other thing that I heard in in what you were saying reminded me of the idea that um, as we're thinking about where we're coming from, if if we happen to be a person that is a good writer, and, and you think there's power in what you can do, you may find that your audience, particularly if you're working with your boss or peers or superiors in your organization, that may not be their style of learning. They might not be textual beings. Yes. They so might true. rather have a bulleted checklist or a diagram or a slide. They don't want the, the three-page document to explain things. And if you wonder why you're not being effective in communicating, you might check your method and your medium there.
1: 100%, um, a, a recent client, a part of the Army Corps of Engineers actually, um, had the, had that experience herself, a director, where she had emailed many superiors proposing a new learning program months ago and had never heard back. And we talked about, hey, how about look through maybe the 12 different things you talked about through the lens of, do they need these items now, later, or never? We have to be honest with ourselves when we write. There's an element of self-management. She went through there and said, okay, they actually only need three of those 12 things now. And the others they can ask about later, or maybe if we get to the next step. So she resent now with an email like this, instead of multiple pages, it was about two paragraphs. She told me she heard back from three of those leaders in the first day. And she had never heard back from anyone before. And so typically, this is also back to our instincts. And like you said, especially if you're a good writer, our instincts are to be helpful by being thorough we're typically thinking, wow, I don't want them to have any trouble or questions, so let me give them everything they need. But receiving pages of information we might need is so overwhelming that we don't really even notice what we need to do. And I recently had to the self-management piece, a leader in a leadership development program talk about exactly what you just mentioned, where his boss had said, hey, it's your first month, shoot me a quick update of what your team is up to. He came into the class, it was the same day. He said, oh, I just sent her a six paragraph email explaining what our team was up to. And people said, hmm, is that what update means? You know, we're not sure. What it, What is an update? Well, it's a subjective term, right? It depends on the person. And we said, so what's your boss like? And he said, you know what? Now that I think about it, I know her. She is a bottom line person. And so we said, well, if you knew she was a bottom line person, why did you send six paragraphs? You know, just curious, right? Because we're usually really honest about writing mistakes. That's how we learn. He said, you know what? It's because I was proud and I got excited. And that helped me remember, again, self-management because I do that. I get excited and I'm typing away and I'm proud of these ideas and I'm really pumped. And now my reader is saying, you know, I'm glad you had an idea, but I didn't want 10. So we actually have to monitor and manage and usually reduce the amount of things we want to say in order to be more effective.
0: You know, on that vein of of trying to respond to a request like that and and allow the leader and the person to stay on the same page, there's a practice and a process I talk about a lot and I've written about it a number of times. Uh, I call it the big five. And a friend and colleague of mine actually created it. And once upon a time, many, many years ago, he actually worked for me. That's how we got to know each other. And we've stayed friends ever since. But this big five method is a a personal discipline to take on. And that is at the end of the month, write down five bulleted accomplishments, just simple one-liners, literally one-liners, no paragraphs, just one-line bullets, of the things you think you, the big things you think you got done in the prior month. And then below that, write out five target objectives for the new month mm-hmm. or call them priorities. I don't call them goals, be, be careful here. And that's another whole discussion, but it's, it's more about priorities for the next month to kind of focus thinking and energy, then share that with your boss. And the the actual way this came into being uh, back in the day when this friend and I were working together, we were, he was a unit manager in my bigger division, and um, we were going through a season of crazy, crazy busyness and overwhelm for most. Mm-hmm. And one day he walked into my office and just threw that thing on my desk, and I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute, what do you, what is this? You know, you can't just throw something on my
1: desk. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And he said, uh, I, I just came up with this idea. Just read it talk about it. And he said, it's my claim of five things I got done last month and my five priorities for the new month. And when you look at it, call me and we'll get together. I said, well, wait a minute. If if you got five minutes, I got five minutes. Let Let me look at it. So I looked at it. And we actually went through it and I said, wow, I didn't realize you got to work on number four. That's great, glad you got that done. And then I started looking at the priorities. And in just a very quick instant, I was able to say, okay, number one is good, number two is good. Three, I don't think so. Let's table that, let's push Mm -hmm. that off for another day. But here's something I need you to think about. And I, I was able to share it with him. He goes got it and he revised his list and we were off to the races and and it dawned on me in one little simple tool we were literally on the same page with our goals objectives and priorities and we were communicating about what needed to be done so uh, I, i think it's a great tool and people say they're too busy for stuff like that but i'm telling you it's five simple lines for each category and nothing more i mean if you need to have a discussion about all the rest of the story fine do that but it 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 just helps align expectations and and priorities
1: well and it strikes me that perhaps another reason that was so successful was not only that the writer was able to tell you so quickly their thoughts because of these concise sentences so you could digest and get to work right away. But even if we look before that, in order to create to whittle things down to five concise statements, the writer had to already think everything through. And so it's a great idea for any of us who are potentially about to send a very long message where it's like, you know, I don't want the other person to have to fight through all of this. It's my job to create the kernels and give them the kernels. And so they had done that for you and then you could so quickly learn and work together
0: yeah well Aaron, i want to shift gears a little bit there was another area that you and i had talked about in our preparatory work for this show i just want to talk about word choice and just some of the, the is there such a thing as some broad ideas of word choice that we may stumble on or trip over accidentally in in our communication as leaders?
1: There certainly are. um, And I know it's hard because we worry about the interpretation from our readers, right? And often when I talk with people who've actually left jobs because of the communication of the leaders, the leaders didn't do that on purpose, right? Sometimes it's accidental that a feeling of condescension or dismissiveness or whatever it might be, might be coming through. And I think the easiest set of words to start with for that are you and your. Um, We know that these words are loaded for the listener or the reader. And it's simple for us to just adjust the way we use them. So I always recommend when you are talking about something positive, use you and your as much as possible. You know, your idea really promoted this strategy. We're so glad you said that. But when it's negative, shift from talking about people to the product, the outcome, the deliverable, the goal. I used to do this as a college instructor. That kind of illustrates easily. If I'm writing comments on the side of a paper and they did great, I'm going to say, you supported your point so well here. But if they did not give evidence, I'm not going to say, you failed to support your point here. I'm now going to redirect from them and me to the matter at hand and write page three needs more evidence. It's not a hit on either of us. It's not personal. And when I started doing that, students would start coming into office hours and say, I saw your note. You're right. Oh my gosh, what should I do about page three? And it's not something to get defensive about. And so we can just be very careful with that sort of accidental accusation that can happen and try to reduce that subjectivity and personal angle when we're dealing with something critical and and stay goal-focused with that person instead.
0: I really like that. That I think that is such an important thing. And another thing that I have worked with a lot of clients on is the notion, and this is a little more into the weeds, but it's a notion of trying to learn a little bit more about your team and try to be sensitive to, I call them trigger words, words that set people off even though that's not at all what you meant
1: right it usually is not what we meant um and yes it's worth getting to know them and even when we don't have the opportunity to get to know everyone personally at first we can try to make some educated guesses about what might be sensitive for them, right? We can say, oh, this person just moved here from another industry. I wonder if they spoke differently about these ideas in that industry. Oh, this person is from a whole different generation. I wonder if they're gonna feel the same about how I phrase my criticism, right? So we can try to make some assumptions, but better to talk to them, right? Like you said, and get to know them. Um, I worked with some leaders who ended up finding out that, their team member, some of the teammates felt jealous about the ones who got more time with the leader in their one-on-ones. And it wasn't that they had just more time. It was that they talked about personal stories like their kids. And it, it became a whole thing. You know, why don't you talk about your kids with me? You talk about your kids with Sarah, right? And so that's the other side of it is that, like you mentioned earlier about writing the five facts and people saying that it takes time, that time is an investment that saves so much time later, right? If I spend five extra minutes making my email sure that it's not going to accidentally sound condescending, I might save two hours of conflict next week, right? And so same with taking the time to make our writing clear and understood takes a little time, but uh, imagine the back and forth that you are not going to have to do as a result.
0: Well, and, and to leverage that point in my example on the priority list, when I said number three, we don't need to do right now, let's table it, let's save it for another day, instead do X. If you think about that, that saved him all the time and effort, and it, it, his team was very capable of doing number three, and I knew they would, but I just didn't see it as a priority, and we had other things we needed to get done. And if he had gone on without my input on number three, he would have come back the next month and said, Well, you know, number three was now an accomplishment and I'd be sitting there going, Why'd you do that? We don't we don't need that right now. We you know, why and and so it it's uh you know, it's an honest mistake if if we're not communicating and not paying attention, it his perception of what is a priority versus mine as to in that scenario as the boss, you know, was easily aligned with just a simple dialogue. And and we did that communication took about five minutes to get done and very efficient, very powerful. And, you know, we were off to the races with it. Um, one other thing that, as we were talking through this, I, I I love your point, and I do want to repeat it, the the part about the informational and relational. So I'm I'm going to ask you to walk through that one more time. Yeah, sure.
1: So when we write, we're typically thinking of our goal, which is to get across information usually. And so often we go into the writing with just that. And so maybe I'm in charge of a committee that wants feedback, and I'm going to say, the committee requires your feedback, whatever, you know, and that's fine. And it's informatively clear. So then, before I send it though, I'm thinking, okay, what's my relational goal? Hmm, I actually wanted to sound a little more informal and have a little more intimacy with the team. And this is a, a casual feedback process, actually. So maybe request sounded a little formal and is going to make people feel nervous. So now I'm going to change just, and this is the secret to the whole thing, actually, is that verbs are where you can set a tone. So if you've written a concise sentence, like please, uh, or the committee requests your feedback, the committee invites, requires, requests, demands, wants, needs, solicits, hopes for, right? So many different ways. And you'll find that because people ask me, hey, Erin, how can I be concise and nice, right? Informational and relational at the same time, because we feel like when we're concise, maybe we're not super polite because we're just quick. Well, your verb can do it for you. So I'll ask people when they come to class, what would be the best way for me to welcome you? Thank you for attending, thank you for participating, or thank you for joining. They all pick joining. It's It meets the relational goal, even though all three sentences met the same informational goal. So what we're finding is the informational goal is of course key for moving to the next step of action and business outcomes, but the relational goal is where we can save time by avoiding conflict or managing conflict productively rather. Um, It's where we can show respect and avoid accidental condescension. Because if I said, you know, thank you for attending, maybe someone out there is now feeling like a number. But if I say thank you for joining, they're feeling together with me. And it's that one word. So when we write, we want to just be attuned to both goals. Well, I want to tell this person that I don't like this idea As we know from our personal lives, there are ways to do that that make the relationship more successful. So we want to have that second thought in everything we write. Um, I've worked with people who've, like I sort of alluded to, have left jobs because of the communication coming down from above, making them feel dismissed and unimportant. And they're secretly the whole time like, when can I get get out of here, right? So that relational side is behind even things like morale and retention. It's so important, and yet it's often not taught because we've been sort of drilled to just try to be correct.
0: I think tied in with this idea from the leader perspective, um, I I really like that idea of considering the relational side of your messaging, and I, I think related to that is something I recommend to leaders who, might be prone to approach a team member either in person by you know walking out on the floor or in remote just through a quick text or email or something and and they ask the classic question that's kind of out of the blue hey what's going on 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 the project over in the northeast you know Mm -hmm. and with with no context of why the question is being asked So, I encourage leaders to deploy a method I call bookending. You know, start with hey, I got asked by the EVP to give a report on the project in the Northeast. I know you've got a piece of it. Here's one thing I need from you. Can you tell me about X? And then when the person responds, Close the book in by saying this is on point. It's exactly what I needed. Thank you, whatever, something, something to close any random thought the recipient may have about. You know, wait a minute, what's going on? Are we, why am I getting asked that question? Yes. What am, am I doing something wrong? Is the project in trouble? Uh, you know, yes. are we shifting gears? What are we doing? You know, and there's all this speculation that spins up with those random questions.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I, I feel like what you're doing there is using one concise sentence in, in the first bookend to set the context and it's polite, right? And people say, how can I be concise and nice? I want to be concise and say, hey, give me the report. One sentence of context does not ruin our concision. Um, And so I actually teach a very similar process of sort of like, what's the main point or context sentence? Potentially the five Ws are in there, who, what, when, where, why? Like you just said, the EVP wants this thing from me next week. You're just establishing the situation with those five Ws. And then your second sentence is the call to action. Can you please provide the data you have? And then you have that idea of wrapping it up at the end, too, to be like, because I think what people often don't know is, when am I finished? Same with when I teach procedures. You know, When we're following steps, how do we know when we're done? Is there going to be a screen that says you have now submitted your application, right? And so that's really smart to seal it up. And all in the service of reducing speculation, like you said, which is all in the service of reducing time wasted drama you know, in people's minds. Oh my gosh, what if they're getting rid of my department? Heartache, they tell a friend, they tell a colleague, now we're all wasting time, right? Why not just put one context sentence? So that is exactly the power of intentional writing where you can be intentional and strategic for about five minutes and pre- prevent hours of difficulty later.
0: Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And that's the reason I've uh, started turning people's attention to that. And I typically do it, particularly when the client I've got proves to be the curious sort, you know, the constant learner sort. Yeah they inevitably, there's an unintended consequence of that kind of personality. And that is they wear their teams out with their questions.
1: Oh, wow. You Good. know,
0: what about this? What about that? And what about, and, and they're not being critical. They're just right. genuinely curious. It's they're sounding. really digging in, but it drives people crazy, you know?
1: Well, that reminds me, you know, I haven't used the phrase on this show, but emotional intelligence is part of writing. And so what you just mentioned, you know we have to look at our own defaults, our own personalities. For me, for example, I know that I give too many ideas in a situation and nobody wants a million ideas, they want maybe two. And so I have to scale back. And the emotional intelligence of self-management that just because I think it's great to ask a lot of questions, I have to think, well, what is that maybe gonna to suggest to people? and now start managing my own behavior with a goal in mind, right? Right. These behavioral goals, our communication, our writing, it should always be goal oriented. Um, Back to that idea of meeting your two types of writing goals when you write, it's intentional.
0: Well, and and I'll end this thought with this statement. If if you're listening and you are the curious, constant learner type, just tell your people that. Let them know. Let them know that that's kind of your MO. and, And when you come seeking information... You're not being critical. You promise you will let them know if you need to be critical, right. <laughs> you know. And but otherwise, you're just curious. You're 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 inspired. You're thinking of something. It's it's a random thought. You need information, and that's why you're asking. And you you might be able to shrink the size of your bookends by just setting the stage for that whole dynamic. And no. just let them know that's your, that's kind of your operator's manual. That's what you do. And mm. the more you can reinforce that, then people can get on that wagon and go, oh, boss is just curious. Sure, I'll play. Right. You know, here you go. Here, what you need. What's next? And, exactly. and it works out fine. Yeah. Well, Aaron, I think we're about up on time for today. Thank you so much for sitting in and sharing. Uh, tell people the best way to get a hold of you if they're interested in knowing more.
1: Yeah. Well, my website is highvaluewriting.com and there are e-courses for leaders there. And you can find me through the contact form or on LinkedIn or at my YouTube channel, which is also High Value Writing, where people will often ask a question in the comments and I get back to you that way.
0: Awesome. Well, as always, folks, we're going to have those links in the show notes. So please take advantage of that if you didn't copy them down and you didn't wreck your car listening to this part. But uh Uh, One last time, Aaron. thanks a lot for sitting in.
1: Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, everybody.
0: You bet. And with that, folks, we're going to sign off, say goodbye. Go out there, make it a great day. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.